where we're going as a country, as a planet. Um, and so I look to communities like what we've created and, um, you know, and I think to myself, okay, if we as a whole can, can work together um, and really be loud, I think. I mean, I think it's going to require people to be pushed through the edge. Always do this to myself. Anne Kirby is a founding member of the Candy Factory a co-working space in downtown Lancaster. Along with her colleague, Jason Mundock, she's also a member of the band Here Inside, whose music you heard at the top. Here Inside is currently running a Kickstarter campaign for their debut album called Coalesce. You can find more information at hereinside.com. Anne and I sat down to discuss the concept of co-working and the idea behind the candy factory, I wound up having a conversation that meandered quite a bit, stumbling, of course, onto politics and the looming presidential election. If you find that you're a frequent What We Will Abide listener, go ahead and write something about it on the internet somewhere. A suggestion for a place would be iTunes in the review section. That helps listeners find the podcast more easily. Of course, What We Will Abide is currently on Facebook as well now. Here's my conversation with Ann Kirby. I am Ann Kirby, and I am the founding member of the Candy Factory, which is a co-working space here in Lancaster. What is co-working? So co-working um, stands for community working together, um, and that has many meanings. Um, some just automatically think of people working within the same space, like a collective, but we really look on co-working as more of a movement uh, where people who... Um, might be isolated, you know, working from home or remote working, um, need a place to be able to come and socialize and network. And um, You can't socialize during work. You're never going to get anything done. <laughs> we do. We do it really well. No, I, I'm making a political <laughs> statement, right? Like I'm saying, well, you're making a political statement yeah. because there is a new model to working. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the old model of working um, was – um, antisocial by design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you show up for work, you do you clock in, you clock out, you do your job. Growing up, work was bad. You don't want to do it. <laughs> you don't want to go to an office. You don't. You 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 you, know, you need to because you need to make money. Right. But it's not it's not a um, a pleasant environment to be in. It's not a nurturing environment mm-hmm. to be in. I wasn't looking forward to it mm. going into the world of work. Mm-hmm. And in large part, my experience, my actual experience in the work world bears that out mm-hmm. like it has been cube farms and hierarchy and snarkiness and high school mores and attitudes yeah i mean i feel like i knew pretty early on that i wanted to be self-employed um and i did have a couple more kind of standard jobs out of college um and in high school but i learned from those experiences um very quickly that I was going to do my own thing. I mean, I could never work in a cubicle farm. I would literally, I would be so depressed. Why? Um, I feel that, again, uh, work is set up to be isolating. So, you know, we, we corner ourselves off behind walls or behind cubicles um, to not engage or interact with the others around you, and you miss so much. Um, also, I think that office dynamics usually are very toxic. Um 
you know, whether that be poor management and leadership. The experiences I've had um, in the workplace, the most prominent one here, the one I spent the most time with in, in Lancaster, um, was very toxic environment. And it was all, it was mostly women. I mean, there were, there were men, but the people I, would de- I was dealing with on a daily basis were mostly women, and they were awful to each other. And our manager was just horrendous. And she taught me a lot about what kind of manager I would never be. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, I will be the opposite of everything you are. Why are they so toxic? Well, I mean, I think you're seeing a shift in, in the mindset. Um, some companies really look to empower their employees, but I think on average, um, most companies want to keep their employees competing against each other. Um, not necessarily working as a team, so you miss you you totally miss this whole team building community um, environment, I guess. For the purposes of productiveness, I would think. I mean, or at least they think that, even though you're less productive in those environments. Um, so I think there's that. I think there's also just competition amongst employees as well, right? Competing for different positions. Um, I think also you have um, companies that are so top-heavy um, where it doesn't um, – the, the employees who are actually driving the business or doing the work don't see the benefit or they don't reap the rewards that maybe, you know, the executives or so on are getting. So you become disgruntled. That festers. Good leadership means a lot. It does a lot. Why for is a there team. such a dearth of good leadership? Do we just not have good leaders? Um, I think that I think a lot of leaders are get to where they're they are because maybe they're good at what they do, but they're not necessarily good with working with people. We just haven't really focused on what good leadership. And some companies do, like Virgin Atlantic. I think is one um, company that that really says empower your employees, number one, above anything else. You know, happy employees produce good products. Is that that weirdo Richard Branson? Yeah. (laughs) But he he really, truly speaks to that, right? Um, And it's about creating a a culture. Um, And a lot of companies miss the mark on that. And I think it's because it's the old way of doing things. So this is kind of new. This whole idea of, like, maybe you want happy employees, not just employees that are there to pick up a paycheck. Does it go beyond, I assume it goes beyond, like, the whole, like, the Google model where it's, like, ping pong tables and, you know, kale drinks and guys in, you know, shorts and (laughs) flip-flops? I think people like to know that they're going to an environment that's fairly casual where they can feel comfortable. Like, we really strive to create almost like your home away from home. Um, where you can come in here in a suit and feel comfortable, but you can come in here with shorts and flip-flops and feel comfortable as well. I think, and perhaps this is you know too subversive, but first of all, if you just look at the way that most, not that I've been in a whole bunch of them, but if you look at like institutional buildings, the way they're designed, mm-hmm. like schools, for mm-hmm. example, um, you'll find that you'll have long hallways, long corridors, and like, you know, offices or classrooms or whatever sure. that are sort of cordoned off and like a, Kind of like a, a, a prison. Right, sure. And, sure. And, and why is it designed that way? It's designed so people won't congregate. There are right. no natural places for them to congregate. And I think, and again, this may be too conspiratorial for you, but hmm. I think that in large part um, the big bosses don't want their employees congregating. Um, I guess, you know, the sort of pedestrian reason for that would mm-hmm. be, well, productivity first. But I also think they, organizing. Don't, want, they don't want them organizing. Unions. They don't want that. Yeah. Um, well, why would they? 
<laughs> they wouldn't. They don't want you talking. They don't want you to have a voice, right? They just want you to come in and so, okay. do the job and and leave. This is my point. This is sort of not, I was sort of driving at, and, and it's just like there's a bigger thing going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, you call it what you want. You, you know, the evils of capitalism. I, I think it actually is even broader. Beyond that, it's it has to do with or the development of. Now you're now you're going to see like my true colors here, <laughs> like the development of civilization mm-hmm. and h- how we came to be this way. Because the way that we're living right now mm-hmm. is really really new in the grand scheme of things. Sure. So like, what the hell are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like the models that we're talking about, where there are people who are in positions of power mm-hmm. um, and they want to keep that power, and therefore the wealth that comes with that power mm-hmm. ensure that employees are. Uh, separated, mm-hmm. um, n- not spoken for, mm-hmm. g- cannot advocate for themselves, have the minimal amount of support in terms of benefits, in terms of salary, sure. in terms of like human resources. Just think about what the, that term actually means. Mm-hmm. Many, many moons ago, you relied on your community to help feed the community, to help grow that community, to help keep the community safe, right? It was a collective um, responsibility. Everyone in the community or the tribe or whatever yeah, you're talking about would, and, and would, how we would be responsible for each sure. other, right? They also worked a lot less. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I mean, because there was also delegation, right? Like you sure. had people who were responsible for certain things and providing for certain things. And leadership was handled much differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've lost, we've lost that over time. I would and say deliberately forgotten. Yeah, that's a good way, yes. Um, and I think you find that some of us really crave that, right? Like we really crave finding a tribe. Um, some do it through religion, and that works for them. Um, and and some that's an excellent point. Yeah, some find it in other ways, and I think that co-working tends to be an alternative to um, to religion in a way because <laughs> we we follow kind of a philosophy. We kind of consider ourselves this movement. Um, but we're, we're providing a place for people to come, be themselves, but to also support each other and to become part of something bigger than themselves. I think being vulnerable is not easy for a lot of us. And when you can come into a space that is comfortable and where you can be yourself, you can be vulnerable. And with that, I think, is, comes growth. I get to work with multiple companies within the space who have a need. And sometimes it's literally just skill sharing. It's not, I'm going to hire you for something. It's, hey, I know you're an expert in this. Can I get some advice from you? And it's just a, sometimes a sit-down conversation and saying, okay, you know what? Let me help you navigate that a little bit based on what I'm seeing. And that is so valuable. As a business owner, that is huge. I mean, to be able to have a resource of, of professionals from all different backgrounds to be able to tap if you need some advice, it's like unheard of. You're seeing that there's this growth in this movement because we're just desperate to for a tribe, I think. So a space like this and, and, and people's skills such as they are, I don't know if they would translate into a post-civilized world, mm. but it seems to me like we absolutely, ha- whatever it looks like, we absolutely have to work as a team once, even if it's partial, yeah. you know, like I'm not saying, you know, total, complete meltdown of the grid. Right. But maybe partially or there are certain things that we have to give up. Right. Um, because the resources are depleted or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, 
it seems to me like this model is like you you, you wouldn't survive on your own. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I think. It's so interesting because, I mean, I'm not going to dive into politics, <laughs> but... No, I'm going to force you to dive into politics. <laughs> and, yeah, but, sorry. like, um, you know, I, I really do feel that there are potentially scary times ahead. Um, and I know you know, like, my thoughts on, on climate change and all of that. And I think that even just watching this um, election play out, it's a little scary. Like, is this a really... Li- a little scary? <laughs> is this the direction our country's going? Um, it is. On both sides, Right. I mean, Neither candidate has said word one about climate change as a thing, except right. to say that it might be a Chinese hoax, a Chinese hoax. <laughs> uh, and then the other candidate says that, you know, fracking is good. Right. Uh, and necessary and wonderful and great. Right. And, makes us and inter- has sold it around the world. And, yeah, and yes. we'll continue. So that's what we're looking at. Right? Yes, and that so that scares me. And I think that... Um, I don't know where I don't know where we're going as a country as a planet, um, and so I look to communities like what we've created, and um, you know, and I think to myself, okay, if we as a whole can can work together um, and really be loud, I think. I mean, I think it's going to require people to be pushed through the edge. Right. Until people it, don't seem to until it actually affects you or affects your pocketbook, you don't care. I think that's the problem. Is like you might watch something happening, you know, you'd be like, "Oh, that's sad," or "That's too bad that you know that country is suffering." Thinking of Somalia for some reason, right? <laughs> but, but you're not feeling the pain, and so therefore, and we're so distracted by everything else that as as long as you're not actually hurting or your family's not hurting, then our our tendency is to just kind of turn a blind eye to it. Be like, oh, I feel better because I posted something on Facebook about it and how sad I am for these people, you know, tear. But that's it. That's the only action then taken. And I think that we've become really complacent. I think we choose not to act um, for many reasons. I mean, I know some people don't choose to act because they're afraid of losing their job, right? Like, I I was just having this conversation this morning, actually, about um, this idea of I would love to yell from the rooftops how awful this is, but I know that the organization that pays me would look down on that, and it could potentially hurt them. And I'm like, that's a really sad state, to not be able to feel like you can have a voice. Sure, we don't have these conversations. Um, The fact is we should have been having them um, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were people out there, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Bill McKibben comes to mind, who's like, hey, guys, this is messed up, and it's going to get worse. And everybody's like, oh, shut up, you crazy person. Um, And frankly, you know, you can go back to the Industrial Revolution and say, oh, putting carbon into the atmosphere is probably not a great idea. I mean, you look at corporate America, and they have intentionally, I think, um, shaped the narrative to their benefit for their bottom line. I think that we as a society have just allowed for maybe too long just to accept what is fed to us. Because we're not really taught, though, to, to, um, to question, right? So, I mean, our... I mean, I, I don't think... I mean, I had a couple of good professors who would be like, you know, let's really dissect that. You know, what do you think about that? But I think the average student coming through school is not being asked to really question authority, right? Um, so, so we've grown up with this idea that, oh, these leaders, they are in the know, they know what they're talking about, 
that kind of thing. The average American, I think, falls within there. Looking at the political landscape right now, I mean, so what we're seeing with WikiLeaks coming out, okay, WikiLeaks is trying to change, you know, to whatever, influence the election. But we're not talking about the content. If someone says, if you read through the DNC content, whether or not you agree with hacking or whatever, um, when when a Donald Trump yells from the rooftops that this election is rigged, how can you deny it? I mean, how can you? I mean, and and them coming out, I think the DNC not coming out and saying, hey, okay, we've igno- we'll acknowledge some of these faults. We're going to improve upon this. Instead, they just deflect it and say, well, Russia. There have been a... A number of these leaks, and in fact, I think like the more of them there are, mm-hmm. the less impact they have. Yeah, definitely. Um, because oh, the, that crazy oh, Julian yeah, Assange exactly. again—he's <laughs> off doing his <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. Um, but like, basically, we had a leak that came out that said, "Yes, the DNC, directed by Podesta mm-hmm. and Clinton." undermine the Bernie Sanders campaign. Mm-hmm. There is no question about it. Right. And we should be able to question that. And we should be nothing. able... Nothing. You know, there has been nothing. Nothing. The, the, yeah, you know, the, the major news streams pick it up. They have to pick it up. They can't not pick it up. But they don't critique it in right. any way. They're not in any way... They, they don't try to dig into it at all. Right. I think I was watching one show, and I can't remember which one it was. And it, they were like, oh, there's no bombshells in this, um, in these email leaks. <laughs> no you know, yeah. The, right. I mean, they wanted to basically, they're, they're shaping it. it. And they're saying there's no bombshells in these emails. Uh, oh, you know, we kind of um, found out what we knew, that Hillary's more, you know, center-right than she is progressive. And I'm like, but when you are running on this, we're going to have the most progressive platform ever it's how is that? How do you have a progressive platform driven by a a center right conservative? <laughs> and then we can argue that obviously her her center right is better than a Donald Trump right. I, to me, but. it's even more fundamental than that. And you, you know, you said it earlier. It's like these are they're they're engaging in illegal activity. Right. I mean, this is this is stuff that people should be should be outraged about. Yeah, definitely. But you can't be outraged, and this is why. But this is why we're told we can't be outraged because Trump is so bad. It's you can't question. I, Do not question because it undermines right. Hillary, and we I don't wonder, want to undermine her because yeah. we need her to win. And that is the shame. Um, you know, you said a little while ago. You said I'm pretty convinced that she's going to win. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I looked at an ABC <laughs> poll, and it says something like she has 272 electoral votes, but which, which puts her over the finish line right. um, with I think 69 votes on account of 69 electoral votes on account of four. Let's say he gets them all. Mm-hmm. So that's 272 to 266. Is it? Right. Yeah. So that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's an insane person. <laughs> right. It should be 538 to nothing. Right. Like, this election, like the 2000 election, should be, as they say, a slam dunk. Well, it would have been if we had picked the stronger candidate. Could you imagine, now knowing what we know, if the DNC hadn't been so deliberate to trying to rig this election, could you imagine how well Bernie Sanders actually would have done? Well, the polls back... We were 45%. I was a Bernie delegate. The things that I... I can't look at them because they're too depressing, but I've seen things, you know... Um, I, I look at polls back in the spring when his campaign was mm-hmm. at its uh, most robust. Uh, but I'm looking at things now where, you know, people are saying, and it's like nobody's listening because who the hell cares, right. are saying like, if indeed, or here are the numbers, or mm-hmm. those percentages, and it's like, yes, that would have been a slam dunk. He, in the spring, you know, he he was projected to beat Donald Trump by 20 points. Mm-hmm. 
and she only eight or ten, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now she's up by by the ABC poll four to six, mm-hmm. which is it's still pathetic. It's pathetic. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely pathetic. Yes, he'd be wiping the floor with Donald Trump yes, right now because he doesn't have the baggage she has, right? And I think also so be- well, and also because I think we as a country are ready for a more progressive government. If, if there's, if there's, like, the, the funny part is if there's a populist candidate right now, it's Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So can you, that's, that's all, I mean, if anything, that's what Bernie had, is mm-hmm. the populism. And so, like, it's clear that there, his populism would have trumped Donald Trump's populism. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that this, I really feel, and I just had a conversation with um, a Hillary delegate. He said, if she is not progressive... If she does not stand by the, the the platform that has been put forth, she will be a, a one-term president. And and that is someone who is super passionate about And I'm not saying that she will, but that across the board, I think that even those who are really ingrained in politics and the DNC have some understanding that the country, whether or not they want to accept it, is moving in a more progressive way. It- it's too slow. It's great that this person said, but that's four more years. I know of four more years. Trust and me, that's what I, you're I, saying I, yeah. about being inactive, right? Right. That and is advocated. Oh well, you know, we'll hold her to, to her feet to the fire, right? And then we'll toss her out in four years. Well, right. in four years from now, the climate of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, will be the climate of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, yeah, exactly. And right. it's 85 degrees today, I know. so that bears my point. I know. Out. It actually makes me very unha- like physically unwell. Yeah. And, like, everybody in my family is really agitated right now, and I'm blaming the weather. (laughs) Here's the thing. We were going to wrap this up soon, but, like, I'm I'm at the point right now where, um, you know, I've gone back and forth on this many times, Mm. and Donald Trump's, like, abject sexism. There needs to be another word for it, Mm because it isn't sexism. It's it's rapism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is so objectionable, beyond objectionable, that, like, you know, for my wife and my daughter, Mm -hmm. I'm like... It's got to mean something that we have a female president mm-hmm. um, to face, or mm-hmm. at least to like. <laughs> I don't know if she will to face this kind of to face rape culture. Sure, okay, so let's call of it course. what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just as an aside here, it, it the one good thing that Donald Trump has done. Mm-hmm. One you said already was that he's actually right about the election being rigged. Um, is that he's brought at least for some people. The, the story, the narrative about rape culture mm-hmm. to the forefront mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think it ever has yeah, been before. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, there's a podcast I listen to. There's a guy named Dan Carlin mm. who has a podcast called Common Sense, which is largely about politics, but from like a, he calls it from the Martian point of view. Okay. Like the Martian came down and looked yeah. at this, but they, what would they think? They'd right. Be like, what the hell? What the hell? He, he said, and lots of simple solutions out there. Like, for example, you get this slate of candidates, you write, on November 8th I don't want any of these people mm-hmm. none of the above mm-hmm. let's do it again yeah. find me another slate of people we should who, have that right right here's where I'm left Dan Kirby and I swear to you I'm actually really thinking about doing this okay I'm thinking about writing Bernie Sanders in <laughs> and I'm thinking about and I'm wondering like if I can get to 30 million people and tell them to do the same thing so there's right, a few crazy. problems with that because no, uh, <laughs> he's you know what to be honest after after Hillary took the um, nomination. Um, there was this. There was a lot of conversation around what would it look like if we wrote Bernie in. And um, I've seen stories about delegates who are still. And there's going to be. Uh, there, I have no doubt he will come out of this race with <laughs> with many votes. 
But he's also he's not on the ballot in most of the state. Mm-hmm. You have to get on the ballot, and every state has their own rules. Um, and so, what are the writing rules for Pennsylvania? I, I'm actually not even really sure. I didn't investigate it because I don't think I wouldn't write them in. Um, and I, I trust that. I know that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to, um, but I, I do feel that the man has fought hard for the last 40 years to do what's right, and I think he believes in his heart of hearts that voting for Hillary or standing behind her at this point is right. And whether or not I personally agree with that, I respect what he has to say there. Um, so I am personally not saying what I'm going to be doing <laughs> on November 8th. <laughs> I will be voting. Um, <laughs> but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep that private. But I think, I think it's, local elections are super important, I think. We need to get um, – we need to fight for progressive candidates. Do we have progressive candidates here? Um, yeah, I think so. I think – How progressive is Hartman? I like Hartman. I'll be voting for Hartman. Um, Paulson. I'll be voting for Paulson. Christina has um, po- has the potential of um, winning this, I think. And I think if we can just get out, and even if you're not happy with Hillary, get out and vote local um, if you can. episode is by here inside check out their debut album called coalesce